Today we're going to read out of John 20, 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it on my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Please be seated. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Shirley and Nathan, for the adventure of announcements. <clears throat> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for this beautiful day, for the sunshine. Thank you for our bodies. A lot of bugs flying around right now. Lord, we're grateful that we can be here. Pray for those who were unable to gather with us this morning. Pray that you would bless them. And help us, Father, as we, as we look to your word, I pray that your voice would resound. Pray that you'd give us hearts and minds that are open, soft, ready to receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, my name is Simon. We've not met. I'm the, the lead pastor here at Grace City Portland, just one of several leaders that are here to serve you guys. And uh, thank you for being here. Um, <clears throat> if this is your, your first time to Grace City, you are jumping into almost the end of uh, our long, year-plus-long series, teaching series through the book of John or the gospel according to John. Um, yeah, we are on chapter 20, the very end of chapter 20 this morning, which means just one chapter left, a few weeks left. Um, kind of a big deal. We, we've called this series John Walking with Jesus because when you take your time to, uh, to process together process through an entire 21 chapter book of the Bible. Um, it takes a minute and it causes one to slow down. And I think that's very, very helpful to slow down um, at, at a walk's pace, not just acquiring more information as fast as we can consume it, but actually experiencing what life might be like to walk with Jesus to be discipled by Jesus together. 
So that's what we've been up to. That's what we're getting ready to finish. Um, now, this morning, one of the, I guess, relatively more famous moments, there's a lot of famous moments in the book of John, but this morning, we're looking at Thomas's encounter with the resurrected Christ. Uh, Thomas, the doubting disciple. Um, the, the specific context for this, this encounter that Thomas has with Jesus is actually uh, just on, in, in the wake of what just happened eight days prior, and that is Jesus, who's come back from the dead, the resurrected Christ, met with some of his disciples, apparently not all of his disciples, at least not Thomas. They were all gathered together in some room. It would have been Sunday evening or Easter evening, the night just after Jesus came back to life. They're all gathered together, the door's locked. They've heard the report that the tomb is empty, but they're obviously still nervous, terrified, as to what's going to happen next, thus the locked door. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears. Somehow he enters into the room and he greets his disciples and he says, peace be with you. And he shows himself to be alive. It says that um, Jesus tells his disciples that just as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And then we're told Jesus breathed on his disciples, and they were filled with the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, thus empowered to go, to, to be sent, and presumably to tell the world that Jesus is alive, that the King has risen, and there's hope. There's hope, even in the face of death, even in the face of the evil empire. The king is alive. Hope is available. Now go. Tell the world. You have my spirit living in you. Tell the world. And that brings us to Thomas. Eight days later. It would seem the disciples um, have decided that Thomas is the first person they're going to tell. To tell. Okay, so this is, they're on mission now. They've been commissioned, they've been empowered, and now this is what happens next. I imagine they're uh, maybe meeting again, and one of them, obviously, or maybe they all um, realized that Thomas wasn't at the meeting, so naturally, let's tell him. Before we get to, like, the world, let's tell Thomas. And so we're told, they tell Thomas, we have seen the Lord. Imagine they're pretty excited to tell him the news. They're going to do what Jesus told them to do. And what does Thomas say? Hmm. You don't say. You don't say. So Jesus, our teacher, who I saw with my own eyes, um, just over a week ago, get crucified, nailed to a cross, stabbed in the side, and buried in the tomb. You, you saw that Jesus, did you? 
yeah, he's alive. Hmm, you don't say. Well, I don't believe you. In fact, I refuse to believe that he's alive. Unless I see for myself his hands that were pierced with those nails and even touch him, I won't believe. I can't. Have you ever tried to tell someone about your experience of Jesus? And they look at you and they say, huh, that's good for you. Good for you. He's alive, you say. Okay, if you say so. This is our first missionary encounter. They're doing it. They've been filled with the spirit. They got the breath. They got the breath. Did you get the breath? Did you feel? Did you feel that when Jesus breathed on us? I felt that. It was like, I, yeah, let's go do it. We're empowered. First attempt, strike. He's alive, you say. Okay. Well, I don't believe you. Doubting Thomas. Two things happen. Two things happen. Um, we're told in verse 25 that after they tell Thomas we've seen the Lord, he says, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails, I refuse to believe. And what happens? It's a repeat of the previous meeting. We're told the door was locked. Can't help but imagine it was probably Thomas who locked the door. And Jesus appears. Same greeting, peace be with you. And Jesus, without any, uh, without saying anything at all, he says, Thomas, look at my hands. Jesus sees Thomas. It was like he was at the meeting. He knew that Thomas would struggle. He knew that Thomas would doubt. Have you ever felt like you're the only one in the room? that doesn't get it. Everyone else is singing, maybe lifting their hands and without really looking around because you don't want to like out yourself. You think, am I the only one here that doesn't really believe that Jesus is alive? Have you ever felt like you maybe missed something that everyone else got. Like everyone else has somehow figured it out, except for you. Everyone else is somehow uh, convinced that Jesus is real, that the scriptures are true, and that like hope isn't just, this isn't just uh, wishful thinking, but this, this is like a, this is real for everyone around me but me. This is Thomas. This is Thomas. 
And Jesus sees him. He knew what was going on. He knew that Thomas would object. He knew that he would demand evidence. And so he shows up and he meets him right where he's at. Oh, this is so good. Oh, thank God for Thomas. Um, Jesus sees Thomas. Put your finger here and see my hands. You know, in John's story, his, his account of, of the life of Jesus, his teaching, he's, he's such a poet, the way he tells it, it's so rich with meaning and theological nuance and all these things. And it, he actually builds these like themes, these theological motifs, if you're looking for them. In fact, I, I encourage you, I encourage all of us, go back and read the story again from the top. See if you can do it in one setting. And go slow. Maybe even read it out loud. Look for the themes. There, a lot of the biblical authors do this, but they, they love the use of poetic symmetry. They, they sort of like to, to use certain words, and, and, and maybe they'll, they'll, they'll focus in on a theme at the beginning and then sort of bookend it again at the end. And John does this with the idea of seeing. Um, back in John chapter 1, towards the very end of the chapter, um, Jesus is first sort of encountering some of his disciples. Um, we're told that he meets Philip. And uh, Philip goes and finds his friend, Nathaniel. And he tells Nathaniel, you've got to come. We have found the one who Moses spoke about. In the law and the prophets, Jesus, the son of Joseph, the Christ. We have found him. And he come from Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? A bit, bit, bit of Thomas-esque. Like, yeah, right. So you say. And so Philip says, Nathaniel, come and see. And so which is a very cool invitation. Well, okay, fine, I get it. You don't believe. Fair enough. Just come and see. Come and experience for yourself. Okay, fine. And we're told that as uh, Philip and Nathaniel are approaching Jesus, Jesus looks up and he's like, ah, Nathaniel, a true Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, you know me? And Jesus says, before, let me get it right. Jesus said to Nathaniel, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I see you. I know where you're coming from. I know your objections. I know your pain. I know all of the reasons why you refuse to trust me, I see you. Jesus meets Thomas. Jesus meets you. This is the first thing that happens, which is very encouraging, particularly if in a room like this, you feel like, dude, I might as well be invisible in this place. No one knows me. No one, no one knows a thing about me. And just look at me. I clearly don't belong here. 
you feel invisible. Jesus sees you. He sees you. Um, but Jesus doesn't just stop there. He doesn't merely affirm Thomas's unbelief. So Thomas refused to believe. And Jesus, it's, it's quite, I would argue, popular these days to sort of like um, affirm people in their authentic disbelief. Like, oh, well, at least you're being honest. Good on you. At least you're being true to yourself. Oh, well, okay. That's, yes, good on you. But let's not stop there. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't merely affirm Thomas's unbelief, but nor does he reject him for refusing to believe. He's not put off by his issues. He's not put out by the way Thomas is struggling. Being seen, acknowledged, and even validated is good, but Thomas is instructed, put your hand and place it in my side. I don't want you to know that you're just seen. I want you to believe. And so Jesus tells Thomas, go ahead, touch me. Go ahead, feel me. That's what you want, right? That's what you asked for, right? You want to feel the place that I was wounded And Thomas feels Jesus. Thomas touches his body. He feels the marks of God's sacrificial love. Let that sink in for a sec. Not only is Thomas seen by Jesus... Thomas is invited to feel the wounds of Jesus. Feel me. Hmm. What are the implications? The world, our world, it's not lacking information. Um, it's not lacking accusation, a lot of finger pointing. Um, it's not lacking opinion. It's not lacking disappointment, disillusionment, broken promises, unspoken expectations, lingering resentment, compounding unforgiveness, or just good old-fashioned hate. There's a lot that our world is not lacking, but one thing it is to be sure, one thing it's lacking is the demonstration of God's sacrificial love. Thomas wasn't lacking an argument. He wasn't lacking a teaching, another sermon, says the preacher. What Thomas needed was to feel the wounds of his Savior, to touch the marks on his body, to experience what would it feel like to get close, to literally feel the wounds of God's sacrificial love. And so Thomas 
feels Jesus. He touches his body. And now we are the body of Christ. This is John. This isn't just, oh, this is a little weird encounter with Thomas. Huh. This, this is John's way of instructing us. This is what mission looks like. So you've experienced, you've seen, you, you know personally the, the hope of the risen king. Awesome. Now receive the spirit and go tell all your friends who probably won't believe. Why is that? Not enough information? Am I not talking loud enough? You know, like, why is it that people refuse oftentimes to believe? I think, I think Jesus wants us to know something here. Our world needs to be able to feel the wounds of our Savior or the marks of sacrificial love in his body. It says elsewhere in the New Testament, um, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, he writes this, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God, Thomas didn't need another talk. He needed more than to simply observe the Lord alive and mobile. Thomas needed to touch his body to feel the sacrificial wounds of Jesus. And now we are the body of Christ. So we're a church on mission. We believe that Jesus is alive, that hope is available, that he died to forgive our sins that we might come home, that we might be made new, washed, clean, whatever metaphor works for you. Jesus made a way for us to experience the love of God in Christ. Now go tell the world, because it's a gift that's meant to be shared. Go tell the world. So what do we do? What do we do with that? Well, I think it involves words to be sure. Otherwise, I mean, what, what are we doing here? This is all coming from words. There's an explanation to it, but I think the world, perhaps more than ever, in my little bit of life experience, isn't lacking more information. We don't actually need another YouTube video. What do you think, Isaac? Should we just get rid of YouTube altogether? <laughs> YouTube's great. Podcasts are great. But what's really going on in a person's life, in their heart, in their mind, when they say, yeah, I believe. It's not plausible words of wisdom. Oh, could be. It could, that could be the thing that convinces you of something. But what if, 
all of the Thomases and the Portland and the people and the hipsters in the world and, and even some of you sitting in here because we're all like on, a, on a, like a spectrum of belief, right? It's not like you either just believe you don't believe. Like there is a journey. There's a journey. You are on a spectrum. I am believing. I am growing in my belief. I'm learning to trust and to obey Jesus more today than I did yesterday. And my goodness, what a ride. And what I need and what you need and what our world needs aren't just more words. They need to be able to feel the sacrificial love of God in his body. What does that feel like? It's not the church that presents an untouchable glory. Look at how strong and powerful and right and perfect the church is. Is that what the world needs more of? Please now. Once upon a time, you may have answered that question differently. Yeah, that's what, that's what the world needs. They need to see a church that's in charge. We make the policy. We boss everyone around. We're right. Come to church and we'll tell you how wrong you are. That sounds extreme. <laughs> but something like that. And yet Paul said, when I came to you, I came in weakness and in trembling. All I wanted to do isn't to show off my power, my strength, but to show you this is what sacrificial love looks like. This is what it looks like for the creator of the universe, God Almighty, who is right and strong and perfect and holy, who comes down, who goes low, who lays down his life for others. And sacrificial love leaves a mark. Jesus had scars on his body and the church has scars on her body. Because loving each other, laying your life down for another, for your friend, dare I say, for your enemy, for that person who really annoys you. And oh my goodness, their political ideas are insane. Learning how to love people that hate you, that curse you, like, like the love of Christ, that will cost us something. It will leave a mark. I'm learning how to love my wife. I'm learning how to love my kids. I'm learning how to love my church. I really want to learn how to love my city. A lot of people don't like Portland. I meet people all the time. They're like, Portland. I don't want anything to do with Portland. I mean, I'll drive in for the food, but then I'm, I'm out. Okay, now, now we're getting personal. <clears throat> now I get it, I get it. It's, it's hard to love difficult people. It's hard to love me. It's hard to love me. I am hard to love. And I think I'm like pretty awesome. 
Thank you. What I'm learning that if you want to be a good friend, um, a good spouse, a good parent, a good employee or employer, if you, if you want to be the person that we all aspire to be, um, as we follow Jesus, he teaches us how to love like he loves. And that always goes to the cross. It involves me laying my life down for others. And I am convinced, I, I think John's right. I think, actually, I think Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he came to Thomas and says, I see you. I see you, Thomas. I know what's going on. I, I, I understand. You're confused. You're scared. You're let down. You're disillusioned. Nothing is working out the way you thought it should. But I'm right here. I see you. Now, feel me. Touch me. Get close. I want you to experience my love. That's what he's saying. Touch my body. Get close. Feel what this love costs me. And that is an argument to believe. That's what our world needs more of. They need to be able to come into the place like this. They need to be able to get close, like off the stage. I'm sorry, I'm going off our little camera now. And they need to be able to like, let, let me, what will happen if I get so close to you, you actually find out something about me that disgusts you? Some, something that offends you, something that you don't like that actually repels you, like, oh, what? I didn't know you were like that. I didn't know you lived with that person. I didn't know you had this desire. And instead of recoiling, we get even closer, knowing full well that this is gonna hurt. This is gonna be a hard journey. I'm gonna find out things that I don't like, things that will cause me to actually humble myself, not to simply affirm you in your unbelief, but to say I see you and I love you. Not just in word, but let me demonstrate this, this kind of love. And let, let me end here. Why would anyone want to do this? Why in, would anyone in their right mind sign up for that? Like it sounds very noble, right? Love, love, love. We all want some of that, right? Hmm. Love, it costs something. It's going to leave a mark. Why would we do that? For the follower of Jesus, we love not because we ought, but because we are. Now, I could pivot and see if I can't make you guys all feel really uh, bad about yourself because you're just as selfish as I am, and I should be, you should be ashamed. You're not loving at all. You're self-centered, and you're this and that and the other, and we could all just sort of like wallow in our shame and wake up tomorrow morning thinking, yeah, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better. I have no interest in doing that. <laughs> If that's what you signed up for, like, <clears throat> well, we'll practice loving you. How about that? You'll be the most difficult person in the room. Um, for the follower of Jesus, we love not because we ought, but because we are. 
We love because he first loved us. This is what John writes elsewhere. Why would, why would we do this? Why would we be, be the kind of body that practices sacrificial love, that demonstrates the love of God in Christ in such a way that people can actually get up and feel what, is, what does this love feel like? Why would we do that? Because we've been loved. This, this is the, um, the wonderful, weird, glorious, awkward paradox of God's love. All at once, when we come into the presence of God who is holy, we realize how far short or how, how far I fall. Truth be told, I am a difficult person. That's not just like hyperbole to make a point. I'm an incredibly selfish person. Like the longer I'm married, the more I realize, like, oh my goodness, like I, I'm a douche. Like I, I try, I try, but I am so self-centered. It's, it's like, it's, it's insane. I'm so self-centered. And even when I'm trying to be loving, I, I'm, I, I'm consistently like bumping into myself, only realizing like, oh, this is about me. This, is, this has always been about me. What is wrong with me? And we all, it's not just, tell me it's not just me. It's not just me, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I think it is actually. Like I'm, <laughs> let's all pray for our pastor. <clears throat> no, 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 it's, if you don't think it's also you, like, mm, okay. You come into the presence of God who is love who is constantly othering, constantly pouring out, constantly giving, constantly blessing. It's like the essence of who he is. He just loves, loves, loves. And you come into his presence, you're like, oh my gosh. Like, Lord, like, help me, forgive me. I'm sorry. And that's where we start. Just this awful revelation that like, oh my, I need to be saved. I, I need my creator to like rip my heart open and make me new. Here's the good news. That's exactly what God wants to do. That's like his greatest desire, his pleasure. Come to me, child, and I will make you new. I will give you a new heart. I will teach you. And then we begin to receive his love. And we love because he first loved us. This is what happened to the disciples. They got caught up in the wave of God's love. Forget the red wave. Forget the blue wave. I want to get caught up in the wave of God's love that would compel me to love my wife the way Jesus loves me, to lay my life down, not as a martyr, but as a kid who's just giddy, filled with the joy of his father because I've been loved. This is the mission wrong, guys. I want to convince the world. This is how John ends this uh, section. He's like, we've written all these things so that you too can believe. Awesome. Let's do it. Let's go tell the world. One Thomas at a time. One co-worker. 
one classmate, one family member. Let's go tell the world that Jesus is alive. Hope is available. No matter what you've been up to, no matter how far off you feel or how disgusting you've been told you are, God's grace is more than enough. Who wants in? Jesus is alive. Hmm, so you say. All right. Come and see. Come and see. Come and get close. Lord, help us. Can we stand together, please?